Our today's topic is Archaeological Sources of Ancient Indian History. Archaeology has contributed a lot to history of ancient India and its importance cannot be oversimplified. Indian archaeology is a science of recent growth but it has made wonderful progress during a brief period. Under the heading of archaeology, we may discuss the information derived from inscriptions, numismatics and monuments. If we analyze the contents of inscriptions, they can be grouped under the following heads commercial or shields, magical, religious and didactic, administrative, eulogistic or which is called prososti, votive or dedicative, donatives, commemorative and literary. As regards commercial inscriptions, their specimens are to be found on the seals of the Indus Valley. Some of these seals must have been used for the stamping of bales of merchandise, commodities like potteries, etc. These seals may have been used by seafaring traders engaged in foreign trade. It seems that nigamas or srenis or guilds, which were commercial organization, had the power of minting their coins and they must have possessed seals to be used for commercial purposes. Some specimens of magical inscriptions are found in the Indus seals which are used as amulets and contained magical formulae on them. The seals have not been deciphered as yet and it is difficult to know their contents. However, they are very likely to contain the names of the deities which are represented by the animals. It is to be observed that magical formulae continued to be written on metals as well as on birch bark or bhojapatro and other materials. Religious and didactive inscriptions deal with religious and moral matters. Possibly some of the seals and tablets of the Indus Valley were objects of worship and were not used as amulets. The inscriptions of Ashoka are the best specimen of religious and didactic inscriptions. The edicts of Ashoka are appropriately called Dhamma Lipi. Ashoka's edicts are also a specimen of the administrative inscriptions. Other than that, the Shagura Kapatplate inscription of the 3rd century BCE is an example of pure administrative inscription. The Junagar rock inscription of Rudradamon I also contains administrative material. A large number of copper plate inscriptions have been found both in the north and south 
and they contain many useful administrative details. Reference may be made in this connection to the Bashkira copper plate inscription of Harshavardhana. As regards the eulogistic inscriptions or prashasti, they are very important from the political point of view. Generally, they contain the name and genealogy of the ruler concerned, the earlier career of the king, his military, political and administrative achievements, the existence of contemporary states coming into conflict with him and the interstate relations, the administrative system, the political ideals, the personal accomplishments of the king, his patronage, munificence and charity and mythological or Puranic allusions by way of comparison and similes. The one great difficulty in these inscriptions is that there is a tendency on the part of the authors to exaggerate the achievements of their patrons. Eulogistic inscriptions can be subdivided into two parts, pure eulogy and eulogy mixed with other types. The Hathigumpa inscription of Kharvel of Kolinga belongs to the category of pure eulogy. To the same category belongs the Allahabad pillar inscription of Shamudragupta. We are giving some examples of eulogy. The Hathigumpa inscription of Kharvel of Kalinga, Allahabad pillar inscription of Shamudragupta, which was composed by Horishen, who was the court poet of Shamudragupta. Nasik cave inscription of Ushavadatta, who was the son-in-law of Nahopan. Junagadh rock inscription of Rudradamun I. The Nasik cave inscription of Gautami Balastri, which is called Nasik Prashasti, which states about the achievements of Gautami Putra, Shatakarni. The Mehrauli pillar inscription of the King Chandra. Junagar rock inscription of Skandagupta, the Vitari stone inscription of Skandagupta, the Mandasur pillar inscription of Jashudharman, the Aihol inscription of Ravikitti, which states about the achievements of Chalukyan king Pulokeshin II, the Nagarjunakonda inscription of Veerapurushadatta, etc. We have a large number of votive or dedicative inscriptions. The Piprava Bhas inscription records the dedication of the relic casket of Lord Buddha. The Vaisanagar Gururu Pillar inscription of Heliodorus, which is popularly known as Heliodorus Pillar, also belongs to this category. Many of the dedicative inscriptions deal with the installation of images and the construction of temples. Reference may be made in this connection to the Mandasur inscription of the time of Kumaragupta II and Bandhuvarman and the Vitari pillar inscription of Skandagupta and 
the eyehole inscription of the time of Pulogation II. The last one was installed on the top of the Meguti Hill. The number of donative inscriptions is very large as many occasions offered themselves for this purpose to the rulers and the subjects. Some of the inscriptions referred to the donations of caves or other buildings for the residence of monks and ascetics. Some referred to the donation of money in the form of a permanent endowment. Out of these funds, the brahmanas and the needy were fed, lamps were lighted in the temples, etc. In some inscriptions, there is a reference to the donation of lands and villages to the monasteries, educational institutions and the Brahmans. Commemorative inscriptions record such events as birth, death or other important events. The Ruminde inscription of Ashoka is an important example a large number of commemorative inscriptions refer to the Shilaharas of Kolhapur, the Chalukyas of Kolyani, the Rashtrakutas, the Yadavas, etc. Some inscriptions contain poetic compositions and dramatic works and their purpose is primarily literature. From the Mohanirvana Stupa at Kushinagar in Uttar Pradesh was discovered copper plate containing 13 lines and recording the Udana Sutta of Buddha. Inscriptions have been found on stone and copper plates and other materials. Ashoka tells us that he got his edicts engraved in stone so that they may last for a long time. Writings on stone were on rocks, pillars, slabs, pedestal or the back of images, rims and lids of vases, caskets, etc., prisms of crystal, walls of temples, pavements of pillars of colonnades, caves, etc. Copper was the material which was commonly used for the writing of inscriptions. An inscription copper-plated was called Tamrapatta, Tamrashasana, Shasanapatta or Danapatra according to its contents. It is remarkable to note that land grants were invariably inscribed on copper plates and were handed over to the doni so that they may serve as title deeds. As regards inscriptions, they are of very great value. As they are engraved on stones and metals, they cannot be tempered with without detection. Consequently, we can be sure while using the material from inscriptions that they contain what was originally written. While in the case of literary sources, there is the possibility of interpolation by known and unknown authors that is not the case with inscriptions. The inscriptions also give us a correct idea 
of the method of writing followed at a time when they were actually inscribed the character of their script also enables us to fix their approximate age location can also throw some valuable light the difficulty of deciphering inscriptions has been overcome in most of the cases although the script of the indus valley still remains a mystery a study of the indian coins enlightens us a great deal regarding the history of ancient india the numismatic society of india is doing a lot of useful work in connection coins are of various metals gold silver and copper coins help us to build up and reconstruct the history of the country in many ways they give us the names of the kings who ruled at various times in different parts of the country in many cases the coins are the only information we have regarding the existence of certain kings without those coins the very existence of those kings would have remained unknown many a time the information from the coins can be used to corroborate the evidence from other sources such as the puranas etc the coins also help us to fix up the chronology coins mention the year in which they are issued the existence of a large number of coins issued during the different years of the reign of a king helps us to fix the exact dates for the accession and the death of the king coins have helped us to fix the dates of samudragupta the location of coins helps us to determine the extent of the territory of a king the discovery of a large number of roman coins in india confirms the fact that there was a brisk trade between india and the roman empire that also refers to the economic prosperity of india and the sea going activities of its people the figures of the various kings appear on coins and from them we can have an idea regarding the headdress of those kings sometimes the hobbies or the amusements of the rulers can also be known from a study of their coins coins give an indication of the prosperity or otherwise of the country if people have gold or silver coins they are likely to be prosperous the case is otherwise if they have copper coins alone or more of them than those of gold or silver sometimes the depreciation of coinage gives an indication that the country was passing through abnormal times during the hun invasion of india the gupta currency depreciated 
The symbols on the Gupta coinage refer to their zeal for Hinduism. The coins give us genuine information regarding the history of ancient India as there is no possibility of their being tampered with. Coins were issued by the rulers and other authorities like Srenis, etc. and there is no possibility of their being issued merely to deceive people. The earliest coins of India have only figures, devices or symbols and no legends. Sometimes the coins were cast in dies but very often symbols were punched on pieces of metals. The symbols varied from time to time and were punched with a view to guarantee their genuineness and value. On account of the absence of legends on them, much information is not available. In 1924, some coins were found at Vimround near Takshila. These were also punch-marked coins and dated as the contemporary to the Nanda Mauryan period. Very recently, Professor B. N. Mukherjee's work titled The Numismatic Art of India gives us valuable ideas about the artistic or aesthetic side of the designs of the coins. The ancient monuments like buildings, statues of stones or metals, terracotta, ornamental and decorative fragments, pottery, etc. give us a lot of useful and reliable information. The excavation of the sites of the old towns like Harappa, Mahenjadaro and Takshila has given us a lot of information hitherto unknown and changed our conception of the history of ancient India. It is after the discovery of the Indus Valley civilization that we began to talk of a civilization in India prior to that of the Aryans. The excavations at Takshila throw welcome light on the Kushanas A study of the sculptures found from there gives us an idea of the Gandhara school of art. The digging of the old sites of Pataliputra gives us some information regarding the old capital of the Mauryas. The Angkor Wat of Cambodia and Borobudur in Java bear testimony to the colonial and cultural activities of the Indians in ancient times. The temples of the Devgar in Jhansi and Vitargaon near Kanpur throw light on the artistic activities of the Guptas. The excavations at Sharnath have added to our knowledge regarding Buddhism and Ashoka. So we can conclude that beside the literary sources, archaeology plays an important role to construct or reconstruct the ancient Indian history. 
the progress of archaeological work in India in future is bound to enrich our knowledge of ancient Indian history. So this is the end of this discussion. Subscribe our YouTube channel Part History and follow our official Facebook page.